0: The Lord calls us to worship from Psalm 19. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament shows forth His handiwork. Day unto day utters speech, and night unto night reveals knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Their line has gone out through all the earth, and their words to the ends of the world. In them He has set a tabernacle for the sun, which is like a bridegroom coming out of His chamber, and rejoices like a strong man to run a race. Its rising is from one end of heaven and its circuit to the other end, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. Amen. day that you have given us to lift up our hearts and to lift up our praises to you, to sing the wonders of your glory, Lord Jesus. We thank you that we may call you as we pray to you now. We thank you that we may raise up our hearts to you. Lord, we pray that you would be with us by your spirit, that you would fill each of us today as we behold the beauty of the Lord Jesus in the gospel, as we come to the sacrament of the Lord's Supper and to feast upon Christ as He is offered to us in the Gospel. Lord, we pray that You would help us where we are weak, help us where we do not understand, that we would have strength and understanding in Your presence. And Lord, we thank You that we may call upon You today as our Father, that You hear us, that You delight to receive our prayers, and may You receive our praises as an offering of worship to You today. And we pray, joining our voices together as You taught Your disciples to pray, saying out loud, Amen. This morning for our confession of faith, we're going to recite together the Apostles' Creed. If you would like to turn there, it's on page 845 in our hymnal. I'm going to begin by asking you, Christian, what do you believe? I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary the the resurrection resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Hear these words of assurance from the book of Psalms chapter 19, starting in verse 7. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, yes, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey from the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned, and in keeping them there is great reward. Who can understand his errors? Cleanse me from secret faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless, and I shall be innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. Amen. As we continue to worship, turn in your hymnal to page 455. We're going to sing together, And Can It Be That I Should Gain? Turn in your hymnal to page number 817. Uh, This morning we're going to do a responsive reading with Psalms chapter 92. On page 817, Psalm 92. I'll begin uh, with the light portion. Please respond out loud together with the bold. Psalm 92. It is good to praise the Lord and make music to your name, O Most High. You make me glad by your deeds, O Lord. I sing for joy at the works of your hands. How great are your works, O Lord. How profound are your
1: thoughts.
0: The senseless man does not know. Fools do not understand. the you
1: know, spring up like grass, and all the they will
0: forever short. But you, O Lord, are exalted forever. You have exalted my horn like that of a wild ox. Fine oils have been poured upon me. The righteous will flourish like a palm tree, they will grow like a cedar of Lebanon. They in the house of the
1: Lord, they will flourish in the courts of our God.
0: They will still bear fruit in old age. They will stay fresh and green. This morning, for our pastoral prayer time, I wanted to uh, to pray for our church family and also for our missionaries, particularly for our church family, as uh, many of you are starting activities, including school and other maybe sports and other things, clubs that are taking place. And it's really easy as a family to be busied and hurried and maybe to even be busied and hurried in our minds. And so I wanted to pray for us specifically that the Lord would sanctify this Sabbath day for us, that we would find in the Lord Jesus the rest that He promises to His people. Rest from our labors, but rest from frantic activity too. And also to pray for our missionaries as they do the work of spreading the Gospel, sharing the good news of the Lord Jesus with lost souls. So let's go to the throne of grace now in prayer. Our Father in heaven, we thank you that we may call you our Father. That your word tells us that we're to think of you as our heavenly Father because you are. Because you have made us your children, sons and daughters. You call us beloved because you have shed your love in our hearts. Lord, we thank you and we praise you. For the work of the Lord Jesus Christ on our behalf that we may be called your children. And Lord, we pray now for our church family. For all of the activity and things that are taking place in this wonderful time of year. It is very easy to be worn out and tired and weary even on Sunday mornings. Just getting here feels like an activity. And Lord, I pray that you would help us not to think of it as another item on our calendar this week. This is the worship of the living God. And Lord, I pray that you would sanctify this Sabbath day for your people. That not only would they rest because it is a different day than all the others, but they would also rest in you, knowing that we do not earn or add to the salvation that you have richly given us in the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, help us in our activity to find joy and delight in the energy and strength that you give us. But help us not to be... Uh, thinking incorrectly about the activities that we do that in some way they earn your favor or they grant us your love or access into your kingdom because we have confessed that we believe that it is by the Lord Jesus that we have access to the throne room of grace. And as we come to your table later, Lord, help us to remember the words that you said, I am the vine and you are the branches. Remain in me and you will bear much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. Lord, I pray that we would not be dismayed in our hearts by the frenzy of activity that we see around us or the things that we see that we've been able not been able to do this week, things that are left undone. Help us, Lord, to lay those at your feet, to be okay to lay them down as a testimony that you will provide. You will give us energy tomorrow. You will give us strength and wisdom and skill. But today we may rest in you. Lord, I do pray for our missionaries that we support here at Lebanon. Thank you that we can next week hear a report from the dyes. Lord, we pray for all our missionaries that you would fill them with your spirit to do the work that you've called them to do. Lord, I pray for joy and delight for them today. I pray for joy and delight in the work that they do, that you have given them to do, whether it's meeting with people or putting curriculum together, if it's setting up an online meeting or just going about normal everyday activities that the rest of us all do as well. I pray, Lord, that you would encourage them, that this is the work that you have given them, that you have sanctified for them. And, Lord, I do pray for those in our midst who are struggling physically and mentally and emotionally. Lord, there are many things represented even in this room, many cares and concerns that we carry with us that we may not voice to others, but we, re- we reach to you and ask, Lord, Would you please work in our lives? Would you work on our behalf that we would be comforted? But would you also bring resolution? And if we don't see resolution immediately, Lord, we pray that you would give us the grace to be sustained by your power. And we ask all of these things in the matchless name of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Turn in your hymnal to number 445. We're going to sing together. Let's stand together and sing the hymn, uh, Bring Them In. Hymn number 445. we sing the doxology. You have richly blessed each of our families, how you provide for our needs, and we pray now, dedicating this offering, our tithes and the gifts that we have given this morning, we dedicate them to your service, that the work of the gospel and your church would continue to go forth. Lord, we thank you that you have blessed us, and we return to you now a portion of what you have so richly given to us. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. I want to invite you to open your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15, we're going to be reading verses 1 through 7 together this morning. Luke chapter 15, this is the word of the Lord. Then all the tax collectors and sinners drew near to him to hear him. And the Pharisees and the scribes complained, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he spoke this parable to them, saying, What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he loses one of them, does not leave the ninety and nine in the wilderness and go after the one which is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I found my sheep, which was lost. I say to you that likewise there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine just persons who need no repentance. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God abides forever." This morning's sermon is entitled, God's Heart for the Lost. This week and the next two weeks, we're going to be taking some time set aside specifically to look at mission's emphasis. The sermon series is entitled, Your Neighbor and the Gospel. We're going to focus on gospel living in day-to-day life and what it means to be a witness, to evangelize our neighbors and our friends, those that we see and come into contact with in normal everyday occurrences. It should impact how you think about how you do life at home, how you do life at work, the way you interact with someone at the grocery store or at the hardware store. You might say, well, why now? Why are we doing this now? I want to share with you something. One of the first things that I received when we came to Lebanon last year, and I have one on the door at the back of the house, and there's one in the kitchen here at the church. It says, Lebanon Presbyterian Church PCA Mission Statement. I would just want to read the first part of it. It says to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ to the world by preaching and teaching the word of God by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what this church is to be about, to preach the gospel. So why are we talking about missions now? And what is it that you mean, Pastor, missions? Well, I do mean supporting world and local missions, which we do that. And we try to take time uh, each month. To share and to highlight something about missions that we support, missionaries that we give to, to support the work that they're doing. And also acts of justice and mercy that are done here in our own community with people that you may or may not know. And maybe people that you wouldn't rub elbows with otherwise if you didn't. But there is a significant need in our society today and particularly in the church. And Lebanon is no exception. We are sinners saved by grace. We need to think about critically what it means to live out the gospel with one another, with our neighbors. And I don't mean the people that live beside you that have an address that happens to be beside your house. I mean people that you come into contact with every day or maybe once a month. And because of the rampant individualism in our hearts, because we would seek to say, it's me and Jesus and that's enough, or the gospel is only between me and the Lord, that's something private. As we look in the scriptures, we see that God's heart is for lost people. The parable that we looked at this morning is about a lost sheep. In today's passage, Jesus does at least two things. I'm only going to point out two of them. First, He answers a repeated complaint about His associations with publicly known sinners and social outcasts. And secondly, He puts on vivid display the heart of God for lost souls by teaching a parable about a shepherd and one lost sheep. You might remember that parables are short stories or illustrations that are used to exalt the wisdom and the grace of God and to expose the so-called wisdom that is self-made in man and self-righteousness that we promote when we look at other people who maybe look differently or sin differently than we do. This parable was immediately accessible to the people that Jesus told it to. They understood what it meant to have sheep And how they are wily animals who sometimes get away. And they're not smart enough to come back home. They get lost. And so the shepherd has great concern for this one sheep that runs away. The people would have understood that. They knew what it meant. Maybe they had gone out into the wilderness looking for their own sheep. Here Jesus displays God's heart for lost people. They are souls. They are sinners. But they are souls. You should think about your neighbors as people. Those that you see every day, they're people. They have a soul who either don't know God or who have strayed from the fold of the Good Shepherd. And the Lord Jesus shows us God's heart for the lost. And He is inviting in this parable the scribes and the Pharisees to share God's heart. And He's inviting us to do that too. So number one, I want to look at this passage under three headings. The first is, answering this repeated complaint in verses 1 and 2. Secondly, Jesus identifies who the sheep are. And lastly, Jesus exalts the great shepherd. So we're talking about missions. We're talking about the gospel about lost souls. First, Jesus answers this repeated complaint in verses 1 and 2. In verse 2, it says that the scribes and the Pharisees complained that these people are coming to Jesus and He eats with sinners. He receives them. He's associating with them, rubbing elbows with them. Doesn't he know that's not what we do around here? Doesn't he know that associating with them makes him unclean? And he's talking about tax collectors. Those who were, by their very job, people who did something that was abhorrent to God's people. Rome was the enemy. They were the ones that oppressed God's people. And they were sent out, these tax collectors were sent out into neighborhoods and places to get the tax that was needed for Rome. And they always seemed, if they were crooked, to take a little more for themselves. So when they say Jesus is associating with these people, He's associating with the scum of the earth, people that can't be trusted. Why is He doing that? He's a rabbi after all. At least He claims to be. He claims to be teaching God's Word, and yet He's associating making these people His friends. This wasn't a new complaint about Jesus. If you look in Luke chapter 5, when Jesus called the man Levi, who was a tax collector known as Matthew, He went to him and said, Come and follow Me. And what did Levi do? Out of joy, he held a celebration at his home. He had a great feast. And who else came to that feast but other tax collectors and other sinners? And the Pharisees and the scribes complained that night too. This man, but they didn't actually say it to Jesus. Sometimes people who complain don't always come to you, do they? They maybe go to somebody else. They went to Jesus' disciples that night and said, why does He do this? Why do you do this? Why are you associating with sinners and tax collectors people like this? It's because the norm of their day was who you associated with spoke to who you were before the Lord. And so if you associated with sinners... You're identifying with them to share table fellowship meant that you approved of their lifestyle, that you had a relationship with them. And so the leaders saw Jesus repeatedly ignoring this norm of the day by accepting invitations from sinners. But He also extended hospitality to them. He welcomed them into His life. He didn't keep them at arm's distance. And actually in Luke chapter 14, He tells other people, when you hold a banquet, when you have a meal, If you have a feast, go out and invite the sinners to come and share it with you. Because anyone who can pay you back, you're not doing it out of love. You're doing it to get something back in return later. So invite the poor people. Invite the lame. Invite those who have nothing to pay you back with it. And your reward will be great in heaven. And secondly, in this first point about answering this repeated complaint, I want you to see that there is some work of the enemy happening here. I'm not saying the Pharisees and scribes are instruments of Satan. I'm saying simply you can notice, even though his ways are crafty and he is wily, I think you can see that he is trying to work in some people's hearts and maybe even in societies and, God forbid, even in churches. He questions Jesus' ministry through these questions that these men are asking Jesus doesn't have the authority to do this. A rabbi is not above the standards that we have set after all. He's got to fit to our norms. He needs to fit into our ways of doing things. We don't do it that way around here. He needs to fall in line. This is very similar to what question the deceiver asked in Genesis chapter 3. Has God said indeed this is how it's supposed to be? This is what our enemy does. He puts questions in our mind questioning God specifically who he is and his goodness and his power and what he has said to do in his church and secondly he's creating false divisions where they don't need to be among God's people where the gospel is needed he's making it more difficult you create an us and them immediately you have people in opposition and he's great at doing that have an us and a them, people who were supposed to be together, but maybe magnify something that's small, that is is there, but is too insignificant to make a big deal. That's what he's great at doing. He's great at making little things big deals so that people don't see one another as people. They see one another as obstacles or enemies. They don't see people who have souls who one day will give an account to God Almighty. They're the enemy. I don't have to think about them that way. I can just turn my eyes and look the other way. Creating false divisions is part of His work. He loves to do it. And also the self-righteous fear-mongering that seems to be going on. They're self-righteous about these people that Jesus is associating with. The tax collectors. Well, we're better than them. We give our tithes to the church. We don't steal money from God's people. We live a holy life. We don't live the way these people do. But it's it's fear-based. And it may not be obvious there immediately, but it's fear-based. What they think about these other folks, they're fearful. Because these folks have the audacity to go up to Jesus. At the end of John chapter 14 and in John chapter 6, Jesus says, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And what did it say in the passage that we just read? John In, in Luke 15 verse 1, it says that the tax collectors and the sinners came to hear. What he had to say. It seems like they're positioning themselves in the path of discipleship. They're the ones who are ready and eager. And they are hungry to listen to what Jesus has to say. And why are the, the, the people who should be following? The scribes and the Pharisees. Why shouldn't they be lining up? It's almost like they're there with their rulers and their clipboards. And they just want to make sure, is it being done right? Are all the I's dotted and the T's crossed? And and not thinking about these people who are in front of them, they're souls. Yes, they're sinners. But there are souls, eternal souls, that will give an answer to God one day. And Jesus responds with authority. You see, the issue for them, the primary issue for them, was personal offense. The threat to them or to their reputation or to their safety or their place of authority. They had no heart of compassion, it seems, for the other people. Jesus responds with authority because He knows what happens in heaven. And we say it with a trembling voice that the Lord Jesus came from heaven to take care of His people. He said, I say to you that likewise there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who do not need repentance. Jesus said that with authority. He had the audacity to to say in front of the scribes and the Pharisees to the sinners, if you repent today, there is rejoicing in heaven. How dare He say that? You claim to know what happens in heaven? You claim to be equal with God? You have lost your mind. And He's the only one there who knows. There is more joy over one sinner who repents than over 99 just persons who need no forgiveness. Number two, Jesus identifies the sheep. There are two groups in this parable. It's fairly easy to point out. The 99 sheep. And it seems that he's saying that these are the just persons who need no repentance. These are the the self-made righteous folks who in their own estimation, like the man who prayed in the parable of the Pharisee and the publican when they were in the temple. And the, the Pharisee was there saying, looking up to heaven, Lord, thank You that You didn't make me like this sinner. And what did it say the publican did? He wouldn't even lift up his head, but he beat his breast and say, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. These self-made righteous people didn't see who they were. At least it seems in this terrible. That's what Jesus is trying to point out. And these 99 didn't have a good relationship, it seems, with the other lost people. And Jesus has strong words for them. He says, beware of a form of godliness that exalts you. And puts other people down. That you are better than other people. That kind of righteousness does not enter the kingdom of heaven. It burns up like wood, hay, and stubble, Jesus says. So the 99 and then the lost sheep. That one lost sheep in verse 4. Those are the tax collectors and the sinners. Those who are on the bottom of the rung in the religious society that Jesus is talking about. They don't have religious scruples. They don't know how things go around here. They are wayward. They're many times overlooked and outcast. These are the people who you could pick out in a crowd and say, boy, you're really not from here, are you? They would stick out like a sore thumb. And Jesus says that the lost sheep are like those folks. And it says that they drew near to Him to hear Him. And this wasn't a one-time thing in the Gospels. It was an ongoing thing. And in, in Luke chapter 14, verse 35, He called them to come and listen. He's calling out with the Gospel. Come and listen. Hear what it is to have life. Hear what it means to belong to God, to be part of His family. He's calling them in to Him. In Luke chapter 5, verses 31 and 32, Jesus said, Those who are well have no need of a physician. I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. That's all of us, dear friends. That's all of us. In Luke chapter 19, verse 10, it says, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. What does Jesus mean by being lost? What does it mean in the Bible to be lost? And I've got to say, as I think about this, and I think about our response to this, probably many of us recoil at the idea that anybody would have the audacity to say, I'm lost. I am educated. I know where I am. I know up means up and down means down and left is left. It's offensive. It pierces our heart for someone to say, you're lost or you might be lost. How dare you say it? And whose fault is it after all? In the parable that Jesus told, the shepherd is the one who lost him. Right? So it's God's fault. That's what's wrong. It's His fault. I deserve fair treatment. If I belong to God, He should have kept me. He shouldn't have let me go down that road. How dare anybody speak that way in the presence of the living God? It's His fault. The reality that Jesus is speaking to here, and we have to wrap our minds around it and we need God's grace to do it. The reality that Jesus is speaking to here is the eternal significance of a sinner's standing before a holy God. In Ezekiel chapter 18, verse 20, it says, The soul that sinneth, it shall die. That's arresting. We should pause. That means life is over as we know it here on this earth. And none of us are promised another day or another breath. We may not make it home. We should think about people that we see every day. They are souls that today might step into eternity. Do they know the Lord Jesus or will they suffer forever in punishment? It should grip our hearts, it should cause us to think. Jesus is talking about lost people. He's saying this is everyone without distinction. There are no exceptions. And some people might read this and the way their brain works, they say, well, He couldn't mean me. After all, I'm, I am a good person. I'm a churchgoer. I do good things. I help other people. I care for my neighbors. I do things for them. Who are the lost people? There's at least one group of people that Jesus is not talking about here. He's not talking about people who just need a little bit of help to get over the line. They've got strength and righteousness on their own. They just need a little bit of help to get pushed. And they'll be in the kingdom. Jesus is not talking about those folks. Because in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 5, it says that the Lord Jesus came and when He did, He died for His people while they were still sinners and transgressors. So... He doesn't die for people who are doing just a, need just a little bit of help. Jesus died for people who were dead in their sins, who had no hope of getting up off the floor. Those who are the lost, those people who will pay the penalty for their sins in eternal destruction and have no other chance to repent. That's who Jesus is talking about. This lost sheep. In second Thessalonians chapter 1 verse 9, these shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord. Jesus tells this parable in a kind and gentle and loving way to shine a bright light on the eternal significance of not repenting before the living God. These people are truly lost. And as we prepare to come to the table, as we think about the grace that the Lord Jesus has in giving us this meal, He gives it to His children to encourage and to nourish us He gives us bread and wine that we would be able to see and to taste and to smell with these signs that He has given us. Tell us about the true reality of nourishing upon Christ and being fed by Him. The bread and the wine don't turn into the body and blood of Christ, but we believe they represent the true nourishment that He offers to us through His body and blood. We participate at this table by His grace. So as we think about this table, it's not an ordinary thing. This is a supernatural thing by God's Spirit that He ministers to you, His children. And as we get ready to partake of the table, I want to just point out two things that Jesus does in exalting the Great Shepherd. See the contrast that Jesus here lovingly and gently points out. He's not speaking condemnation to the scribes and Pharisees. I believe He's calling them to come along come along, have God's heart for the lost people that I'm showing you. And He's supposed to call them to it. He's not like these scribes and Pharisees who are self-righteous and complaining and grumbling. Well, they're not getting it right. They don't have their lives together. How could they possibly be in the kingdom? Why would you offer them the kingdom? That's absurd. He's saying you ought to be doing this. You're the scribes and the Pharisees after all. You should be calling in the lost sheep of Israel. You should be... Going out to the people and bringing them into the fold of God. He is pointing out the contrast between them and our Heavenly Father, the Good Shepherd who goes after the sheep, who is searching and finding, and upon finding is rejoicing. I know what happens in heaven when sinners repent, Jesus says, and it is glorious beyond anything you could ever imagine. The angels rejoice, the Father is thrilled. His children have come home. In Matthew 9, 36, this is Jesus' heart for the lost. When He saw the multitudes, He was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. In Isaiah chapter 40, verse 11, He says, He will tend His flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs under His arms. He will carry them in His bosom and gently lead those That are young. Not only is there a contrast that we see here about this great shepherd, but we also see the lengths at which he is willing to go to call his children home. This celebration that he talks about in heaven is not without cost. There's no such thing as a free meal, right? Well, that meal in heaven that this meal represents is not free, it was won and bought by the body and blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And in the parable, he says that the good shepherd is the one who goes out seeking. He takes the journey. It's costly. It's painful. And he doesn't stop. He goes and he seeks and he finds. And he does whatever he has to to protect his sheep. Do you believe that the Lord Jesus is doing that for you today, dear believer? That he is holding you. Or do you give in to the lies that our enemy would put in your head that when you go through any sort of hardship or any sort of difficulty, the shepherd has left me. I'm on my own. I've got to find my way back. No, the shepherd doesn't leave you. The shepherd is the one that brings you home. He's the one that holds you and carries you and rejoices over you with singing. Do you believe that, dear believer? The Lord Jesus loves you. He cares for you. Do you have His heart for those around you? It is the love of God that caused Him to send His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to live on the earth. In Psalm 103, it says, The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in mercy. As a father pities his children, so the Lord pities those who fear Him. For He knows our frame. He remembers we are dust. Even when we don't, When we think we're invincible, bulletproof. He knows we're dust. And He cares for us. He pities us when we try to walk in our own strength and think we can do it by our own striving. He pities us when we are walking through the valley of the shadow of death and believe that He has left us. But He is the Good Shepherd who carries His sheep. He loves us and He watches over us. And He rejoices over us with singing. In this parable, Jesus invites His critics and the naysayers To join Him in having God's heart for lost people. What about you? Where do you stand really before the Lord? Not before me or before your other brothers and sisters in Christ. But where do you stand before the Lord in your heart for lost people? People who die and go to hell every day. And this isn't just people out there somewhere in some liberal part of the country. This is even here in South Carolina. People die every day and go to hell. Does it touch your heart? Are you moved with the compassion of the Good Shepherd that says, I will go and tell them? And I know many of us think, well, Lord, if I prayed for an opportunity to preach the gospel or to share the good news with someone, I'm a little fearful to pray that prayer because I believe he'd probably answer it. He'd give me an opportunity to share the gospel and I'd be afraid. But you are a witness to the goodness and the glory and the majesty of your heavenly Father. Where do you stand? What's your response as Jesus calls you along and says here, come here and have the Father's heart for lost people? Is it hate or indifference? Do you only welcome them if they come to you and welcome you to their table? Or do you seek them out? And this is not about guilt. That's a waste of time. Feeling guilty about evangelism is a waste of time. Jesus didn't come so you would feel guilty. He came so that lost sinners would be called into glory. Out of the kingdom of darkness. And into the kingdom of light. This is about radical heart change. Work that only God can do in a person. You can't try hard enough to do this. You must pray to Jesus. Change my heart. Help me to see people that I think about as enemies. As people whom perhaps you are calling into the kingdom. And Lord I don't understand why. But you might be calling them into the kingdom. By your spirit through my witness. May I be a good witness for you. Let's pray as we prepare to come to the Lord's table. Father, I thank you for this word that you have given us, that you have heart for lost people, that you care for those people who are wayward, maybe who we think have walked away from the faith, or people who have never heard the name Jesus Christ ever. It's hard to imagine anybody in our society not knowing who Jesus is, but it's true, there are those who don't. Lord, I pray as we come to this table that we wouldn't come thinking, well, I I should just feel a weight of guilt because I don't share the gospel. Lord, I pray that You would deliver us from that. I pray that You would help us to be moved in our hearts, that we would think about others as souls, true people. And they're going to be a mess because they don't know You. Lord, I pray that You would help us not to look away from those folks and give us a heart for them. Lord, I pray as we come to feast at Your table, that we would do so knowing that Jesus Christ has won this meal for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'm going to ask the men who are our elders who are going to be helping serve the Lord's Supper today to please please come forward. Heavenly Father and Lord Jesus Christ, in His graciousness and wisdom, gave us this gift, this meal, that we could come and partake. And we do so every other month to celebrate. That is the Lord Jesus who qualified us to come here. It's not us ourselves. As Jesus talked about the celebration in heaven in Luke 15, I believe He was anticipating another meal. As he talked about rejoicing in heaven, he was anticipating a meal where many sinners would come and have faith in him and would celebrate the wedding supper of the Lamb. This meal anticipates that glorious meal in heaven. This meal also preaches the gospel to you. It preaches the gospel of your union with Christ. This is a meal for believers. Is a meal for people who have placed their faith and hope in Jesus and have run from everything in themselves that they believe might qualify them to be here. The body and the blood of Jesus was broken and poured out for His people that we might belong to Him by faith. And we believe as we partake of the bread and the wine that we are being nourished in our hearts by His grace and that this table preaches to you You are vitally connected to your Savior. He is with you. He is not far. He walks with you every day. That's what this meal declares to you. And that only those who have union with Christ belong at this table. But it is an open invitation. If you have not trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ, then call on Him today. For the Bible says today is the day of salvation. We're not promised tomorrow. I want to share with you some words from the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 11 regarding this meal. It says, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which He was betrayed took bread and broke it. And when He had given thanks, He said, Take, eat. This is My body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of Me. In the same manner, He also took the cup after the supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in My blood, this do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Therefore whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man or a woman examine themselves and so let them eat of the blood and drink of the cup, eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner, eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this reason, many are weak and sick among you, and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord, that we may not be condemned by the world. Therefore, my brethren, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. But if anyone is in hungry, let him eat at home, lest you come together for judgment." The rest I will set in order when I come. The Apostle Paul is saying very clearly and soberly there that there is true physical and also spiritual punishment possible if you come to this table in an unworthy manner. And that's the Lord's standards. It's His table. He sets, he sets the guidelines. He, he sets the invitation. It is His table. So let us take a few moments now in silent confession before the Lord and I'll pray in just a moment. Father, we confess to You that we have sinned in thought, word, and deed even today. There are things in Your Word that You have called us to do that we have left undone. There are things that You forbid and say we shouldn't do, and we have done those things. Lord, we cry out to You for mercy. We don't come to this table showing our wares. We come as beggars, praying that You would feed us. Lord, we do confess our sins to You as our good and faithful High Priest, who prays for us, and who has caused us to be able to come into the presence of the living God and not be consumed. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your sacrifice, that your body and blood was broken and poured out for us, that we might be made the children of God. Help us now, in this time, as we partake of these elements, not to think of them as merely bread and a cup, but as representations of the true nourishment that we have in Christ. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. It says, on the night that Jesus was betrayed, that He took the bread, and after He had blessed it, He broke it. And He said, take, eat. This is My body, which is broken for you. He was telling them that in just a short time, His body would be so brutally beaten and broken that He would be beyond recognition. That the real crown of thorns with real barbs on it was crushed down onto his head so that they went into the skin and blood went down his face for you and me. That a man took a spear and shoved it in his side and that blood flowed out, real blood. That Jesus was so badly beaten and bruised that no one, even his family, didn't recognize him. If they hadn't known that he was taken away, they wouldn't have been able to tell. And it says that he did that. For you and me. It says after the supper he took the cup. And he said to the disciples. This is the new covenant. In my blood. Drink you all of it. He was saying. In just a few short hours. I will pour out my blood. And the last measure of full devotion. I give for the sake of the church. For my people. I see you as people. As souls. That the heavenly father has sent me. And he prayed, Out of all the people that you sent me to get, I didn't lose any of them. I poured out all of myself that they might be part of the family of God. So today, dear church family, as we partake of this meal, do so by faith, knowing that the Lord Jesus did this for you. The Bible is very clear about this sacrament. It is a blessing for the church. So if you have not placed your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and are not a member of a Bible-believing church. It doesn't have to be Lebanon. But if you're not a member of a Bible-believing church, if you haven't been baptized as a member of the church family, then you ought not participate. If you are living in ongoing, unrepentant sin and are resisting the Lord in that sin, you ought not come to this table. But come and pray with the elders. We would love to pray with you and pray that the Lord would grant you healing. If there's something that is between you and another person, another member of the body here, and that you have not tried to make right, that you have not put forth your best effort in the Lord's grace, then you ought not come to this table. That we would take seriously the warnings in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. That we would not take the body and the blood of Jesus in an unworthy manner. But this table is not for perfect people. Otherwise, none of us would be coming up here today. But it is for people who have put their hope and trust in the living God that He has done for us all that needs to be done. You add nothing to your justification. He did it for you. Rejoice to know that these are his gifts for you, the body and the blood of Christ, that you might be nourished and feed upon him as a member of the family of God. Amen. I'm going to call them the men up front now as we we take the bread and just hold it. We'll all take it together in just a moment. The Lord Jesus said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Drink you all of it. The Bible says after they had the meal... They sang together a song. So let's stand together. We're going to sing hymn number 441, Jesus Shall Reign. Now may the God of peace Himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful, who also will do it. Amen.